Uh, my name is Bob Briggs. It's my privilege, really my pleasure, to, to open up God's Word and deliver it to you today. I, I pray that it will uh, have an impact in your heart. Uh, as Linda uh, so uh, capably mentioned, our leaders, our pastors, the elders, the deacons of the church are, I think they're somewhere in the Poconos, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and um, not just uh, playing games and having fun, although, frankly, I know from experience there is a little bit of that, but, but primarily they are seeking the Lord and encouraging one another and really on our behalf, coming before the Lord and asking for His guidance, His direction, and His equipping so that we as a, as a church can, uh, can thrive going forward. So we'll continue to, uh, to pray for them, and, and, um, and Pastor Tim has asked me to speak to you today, so uh, let's, uh, let's begin. Uh, first of all, by the way, thanks uh, to Linda for uh, doing such a, a fine job, and what a credit to our church to have Linda as part of our staff team. And, um, and also the, um, the worship team, uh, what a wonderful job they did in just ushering us into the presence of the Lord, and, and um, no better way to prepare to hear now from God and through His Word. So, uh, you can turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 16. That's where we'll look in in just a moment. But uh, first, let me uh, let me explain sort of the uh, the title for uh, for this message. The title is Acts of Greatness, with a subtitle. You see it up there. How do you hunt an elephant? Now, there's a story told in Africa that. Um, that a tribe was facing the challenge of feeding uh, itself through the, uh, through the rainy season. So a brave warrior stands up and volunteers and says, I will go and hunt an elephant. And so he is the strongest, bravest warrior in the tribe. And he goes and he begins to hunt the elephant. But, unfortunately, the elephant gets agitated and tramples him. And so he doesn't come back to the village. And then another warrior says, I don't know what happened, but I'm going to go. But he is smart enough to say, let me take another warrior with me. So two went. And they took on the task of hunting the elephant, told the tribe, no worries. We will take care of feeding you for throughout the full rainy season. And the two warriors agitated the elephant. One of them got trampled. The other one turned and ran back to the village and said, that didn't work. That wasn't exactly what he said, but something you know along those lines. And then a very wise tribal chief stepped up and said, now, listen, listen to me, please. The only way that we're going to be able to hunt this elephant is if we do it what? You cheated, didn't you? No, together. There it is. Perfect. Oh, that's very good. Together. So the tribe all went out together, surrounded the elephant. All of them were able to take the elephant down, uh, take it back to the, uh, to the village, and the village was well-fed throughout the rainy season. So, so how do you hunt an elephant? Well, you hunt an elephant together. And some of you were going to say, I thought, carefully, which would also be true. But, um, but the theme here is you hunt an elephant together. And that is uh, the framework I'd like you to keep in mind as we look at Acts chapter 16. And uh, we're going to begin in verse uh, 11 and follow through to verse 15. 
And, um, and then I'll give you a little bit of, uh, a little bit of context here, uh, after we, after we read the, after we read the scripture. So, uh, chapter 16 of Acts, verse 11. And, uh, again, this is during Paul's second missionary journey. So in verse 11, it says, So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia. Please remember that. A woman named Lydia. From the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord... Come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So a little context uh, here. This is a, a story that follows uh, an experience by the Apostle Paul and his delegation when they were actually on their way to, as I mentioned, pursue the second missionary journey. Now, during the first missionary journey, Paul had planted a series of churches in primarily the area of Asia, what we now know as Asia Minor, sort of western Turkey in that, that region. And so his plan for the second missionary journey, which makes perfect sense, I think, was to go back and visit those churches, see how they were doing, check on the leaders, make sure that the leaders that were established were all in good shape, uh, honoring the Lord properly. And uh, it seems like a responsible thing to do. But somehow, earlier in chapter 16, we see that the Spirit of Jesus stopped him from going into the region of Asia. Now, this is, it's not the enemy, not the devil, but the Spirit of Jesus stopped him from going into Asia. Which seems odd to me. It seems, uh, seems mysterious as to why the Lord would do that. So, he, uh, had to adjust his plan, and he wasn't able to go where he planned to go. So he had to go to a plan B. Now, he didn't know what plan B was going to be until he saw a vision in the night of a man from Macedonia. If you remember this, you can look earlier in, your, in that chapter if you want to. We don't have time to read it, but he, heard, he saw a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, please, come over here and help us. And so the Apostle Paul immediately turned his attention with his delegation and began to move toward Macedonia. And this is where we have picked up the story. They are, they are on their way to Macedonia. They land in that region and find this, um, this woman who is, who is the subject that we want to attend to today. So we all know that the Apostle Paul is a big deal. You know, the missionary journey is typically named after him. And obviously he had a critical part to play and it was important that he play it well. But what about, what about the other players on the team? What about the rest of the supporting cast in this drama? So in essence, what happened, it's important for us to know what happened 
when the Apostle Paul arrived at Philippi. And in short, we can say that what happened is Lydia. Lydia happened. And it turns out that plan B was actually very well orchestrated, not by the Apostle Paul, but by a sovereign God who was organizing all of these activities. Keep this in mind as we consider the path that we are on here at Cornerstone. So, who is this, uh, this Lydia? We don't know a lot about her. There's not a lot said, but, but we know that she was a business person, a seller of purple cloth, uh, likely successful, influential, um, owned her own house, it seems, and uh, it seems it must have been a big house because she was able to accommodate not only um, Paul but his entire delegation and so, and also to provide for them and not just a place to sleep but their meals and all their, all their needs. So, so what, do we, what can we uh, identify? What can we draw from the scriptures about Lydia's characteristics and what might we learn from looking not at Paul, who we're sort of used to looking at, right? You, you're used to thinking about Paul as the main player here and, and we know about his courage and vision and so forth. But what about Lydia? Lydia was actually the real difference maker in this story of planting the church, an act of greatness, if you will, in Philippi. So let's look at these characteristics of Lydia. I've identified five. You might be able to find others too, but let's look at these five. Lydia, in establishing her model of following Jesus, showed herself to be, first of all, faithful. She was a woman. What was she doing when the Apostle Paul found her? She was praying. She was praying with the other women in, uh, in the area. And even later, when Paul was imprisoned, she likely was praying. If you look further in this chapter, Paul, by the way, this act of greatness that we're talking about, planting a church in Philippi, uh, was not that pleasant of a task for the team. Paul was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was not received well on all, uh, on all fronts. And, um, and when he was imprisoned, what do you suppose? Now, this isn't stated in the scripture, but what do you suppose Lydia was doing? I'm, I'm believing, thinking that she was probably praying. She probably assembled the team that had responded, her own family and those that had responded to the message, and was probably praying for Paul and Silas, who were, who were in prison at the time. And remember that the prison doors came open and a miraculous uh, release from, from prison as part of this story. So Lydia was faithful. Secondly, Lydia's heart and her mind were open. She was eager to hear from God. She wasn't just going through religious motions. She was poised and ready to hear and respond to what the Holy Spirit through his word, in her case, delivered by Paul, uh, was saying to her. Thirdly, Lydia was courageous. Now again, a woman of influence in her community, a leading woman with lots at stake, and she boldly crossed over the line from the perspectives of truth that she had to a new understanding a fuller understanding of truth as delivered by Paul. And she immediately began courageously to align her actions with this newfound faith and confidence. Fourthly, 
Lydia was generous. Obviously, she was given to hospitality, opened her home immediately, um, and invited the delegation to come and join her, provided for them fully. So she was giving of what she had. Now, there were other people in the community that probably did, that, that certainly did not have all that she had, but to whom much is given, much is required. Lydia immediately stepped up and gave generously to support the work. And finally, Lydia was persistent. Her invitation to Paul, it's clear from the scripture, was not just a casual sort of suggestion. You might maybe stop by for lunch after church one day or after you, in Paul's case, get out of prison um, one of these days. Her appeal to Paul was, was aggressive. It was persistent. She implored them, begged them in one translation it says, persuaded them to come to her home. So let's, uh, let's call this an aggressive, persistent generosity. This is the, the Lydia of, of the Bible. And keep in mind, what does it take to perform an act of greatness when God calls you, when God begins in his sovereignty to make arrangements? Well, it takes not just the Apostle Pauls, the people that sort of get the headlines or, or are the ones that get the attention, but it also takes the Lydias to be the difference makers. Lydia was the difference maker in Philippi. In fact, she became the first convert in all of Europe and is cited as the one that really opened the door to Christianity in, uh, in that great continent, which most of us, uh, most of us have uh, our own roots in the Christianity that was spread um, as a result of Lydia's uh, response. So, all right, so, so that's, uh, that's the picture that we see of Lydia in, uh, in the scriptures. Now, what about uh, if we fast forward about 2,000 years? This was, uh, this, the church in Philippi was probably planted in about 50 AD. And, uh, so, so here we are, 1900 plus years later in, uh, the eastern end of the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. Of course, God's country. I, I explained to all my colleagues who work around the, the country, and uh, you all will understand that. Um, they don't always get it, but uh, you do. Um, so here we are in God's country, the eastern end of the Lehigh Valley, and um, what do we have to learn about Lydia, and how can that uh, how can that help us here? Well, first of all, if you look around, even this morning, or think of those that come to other services and are part of the Cornerstone community, um, do you find these characteristics, these Lydia-like characteristics among our family of believers? Well, I think we do. I think it's remarkable what we see among us. So let me just pull out a couple of examples, and of course you can fill in the gaps or fill in the blank and, and add your own, uh, your own examples, but, but there's, um, there's one group of, of women that I'm aware of, because partly because they meet in my house uh, every other week, and, um, and I'm, I'm told politely, well, most of the time politely, not always, but most of the time politely to sort of, you know, make myself, yeah, leave, thank you, yeah, leave, that's the, that's the word I was looking for, leave. So, but one time uh, this group really made an impression on me because um, I learned something about them, and I was joining uh, in just for a few minutes, just greeting the women as they came in, good morning, how are you, great to see you, 
you know, because they're my friends too. It's not like I don't know them. I, I mean, I thought it'd be good to have a little time of fellowship. So I joined in for a couple of minutes. And now in our living room, we've got a big white couch. And over on the right side of the couch is where I typically sit and, and uh, we'll interact with Susan or our kids. And it's just kind of where I, I gravitate towards. So I gravitated to my spot. Well, after a couple of minutes, it was, uh, it was kind of an awkward, awkward situation I was noticing. It's kind of a, you know, unstated tension in the air. I didn't know quite why, because I was trying to, you know, turn on my charm, fellowship with the ladies, and um, it didn't seem to be going that well. So then uh, my lovely wife calls my attention to the fact that I'm actually sitting in Helen Van Sumeren's seat, and you know, this, this horrible faux pas was something I just wasn't aware of, but I did what any, any of you men uh, would do when this was called to my attention. I, I did get up and, and leave. You know, I was, uh, the message was received. So Helen got into her seat, and they went on with her business, and they prayed. And uh, anyway, this is how I got connected or got uh, sort of fully understanding that they are serious about what they're doing. They are praying. They're interceding. I have been for 10 years for uh, especially the next generation. They're praying for their own children. They're praying for your children uh, here at Cornerstone. They're praying for children in the Lehigh Valley and, and across the country. And uh, they've expanded. They're praying about other things now, too. But that's that was the roots 10 years ago, and they've been praying faithfully since. So, so uh my point here is, not that I was sitting in the wrong seat, my point is that there are among us remarkable Lydia's, and I'm only aware of a few, but some of them are sitting around you right now. And by the way, I don't mean that this is only women, because these characteristics that Lydia demonstrated are appropriate for all of us to emulate. Now what about this next generation of Lydia's? Uh, what about uh, this younger crew? Uh, some of us are, uh, uh, I don't want to, you know, insult anybody, but some of us are getting older. You know, we're, we're moving along and we're, we're cheering on this next generation. And um, this group that I mentioned uh, have been praying for the next generation. So how are they doing? Well, let me just call out a few names. Some of you won't know these young people, but um, this is one of the tests of real health and strength of a church. What's the next generation looking like? So let's think about Ashley Varela. Some of you will, will know the Varela family. Ashley Varela is investing her time right now in the inner city of Houston in a, in a tough, tough urban setting. And what's she doing? She's bringing the light of Christ as a teacher to those children that are in, in these tough circumstances. Marianne Millen. Marianne is... Uh, is pursuing a graduate degree in trauma counseling, preparing for a ministry, a career of uh, working with people who have suffered from severe trauma. Um, David Springer. Now, all of you should know at least of David Springer if you don't know him, but he came up through our youth group here. In fact, um, in fact, it was uh, uh, Susan and I were leading the high school Sunday school at the time uh, when David was coming through and. And he used to um, he used to sit and read car magazines. I don't know if any any of you uh, ever Ralph, you remember? <laughs> yeah, you remember that? Now David, and to tell you the honest truth, I don't want to. Well, I'm, I mean, he's doing well now. So, but he didn't have the best attitude. That's all I can say. You know, he's flipping through his car magazine. 
I would say, David, come on, I'm, I'm getting ready to deliver my best, you know, best line, my best charge to the young men to rise up and, uh, you know, report for duty, flipping through his car magazine, looking down. And uh, then he just, uh, when I'd call his attention, he'd just roll his eyes at me and say, oh, come on, you know, don't bother me. So anyway, that was then. Well, look what the Lord has done. David Springer has reported for duty. He's in, uh, I think he's in North Carolina, if I'm not mistaken, uh, serving on college campuses in the area and uh, doing a brilliant job leading young students to Christ and discipling them and uh, working with, with them, doing an amazing job. So, so we at Cornerstone are blessed with Lydia's. This is, this is my point to you. And again, as I said, you can fill in the gaps of, uh, of others. Now let's look a little more closely at one of our Lydia's. This is another one. And I see her mother in the, uh, in the congregation today. But I want to call attention to Jenna Lou. Now Jenna is another one of this generation that's coming up. And two years ago, she learned about a bike tour that focused on a program called She's My Sister. This is a program of the American Bible Society that started as a result of our learning about the severe suffering that was going on in the eastern part of the Congo, uh, part of East Central Africa, where that has been uh, subjected to a brutal war for the last 15 years, and even the history before that is brutal, but, but this recent war uh, for 15 years. Um, actually, you, uh, Cornerstone, the uh, elders of this church, laid hands on me and my son and commissioned us to go to that region the uh, first time to to spy out the land, if you will, and to to meet with church leaders and learn about what was uh, going on. And this has been part of the work that I do at the American Bible Society as well. So um, this program is uh, primarily focused on bringing trauma counseling to the women and girls who have been subjected to particularly brutal sexual violence and I won't even go into the detail of what they experience, but it's, uh, it's beyond awful and, and more than you can imagine. And uh, the church in that region of the world has issued a Macedonian call. And they are saying to us and to others, please come over here and help us. Jenna is one who heard that call. She joined about a dozen other young people, college-age students who recently graduated, and rode their bikes uh, this sounds crazy, but they rode their bikes, some of you remember, from Daytona, Florida to somewhere in Maine. I think Portland, Maine, or at least somewhere in Maine. Some almost 2,000 miles, speaking in churches, telling the stories of the women and the girls who could not tell their own story. Uh, from the eastern Congo, primarily. So... Cornerstone, by the way, we heard this story too and contributed $15,000 as a partnership grant, some of you will remember this, to establish a trauma healing center in this region. And this, this uh, work is active now, it's going on, and women and girls are being reached and helped with God's Word. Okay, so the next summer, after Jenna completed the course, and yes, she did complete the course, all 2,000 miles of this bike tour, the next summer, while another team was mobilized to take this journey again, the second bike tour, Jenna, instead of participating in the bike ride, she went with a delegation to the eastern Congo and was able to meet face-to-face the uh, young woman that you see on the screen here whose name was Consolata. 
Now, all through the tour, the first year, Jenna and the rest of the team were praying for Consolata as a representative of the thousands of women and girls that were in desperate need and suffering in this region. And here she was now uh, walking into a room. I had the privilege of being with her, and Jenna was able to, to embrace Consolata. They sat, they held hands, they, uh, they exchanged, um, uh, they, they looked at each other, they couldn't communicate a lot because of a language barrier, but they just were able to embrace and share the love of Christ with each other. And Jenna saw the fruit of the work that had been done, Consolata having emerged with a higher degree of hope and confidence in her future. So I just wanted to read to you what, uh, what Jenna said. You can see it on the screen, but here were her comments. Consolata and the other women of Christ in the DRC have changed my life. They motivate me to devote myself fully to the purposes of my Creator. They are teaching me how to truly forgive, passionately love, and earnestly hope. I want God to use me to change lives in DRC. But it seems that these Congolese people are actually transforming my life. Now that is a powerful statement from one of our young Lydia's, a cornerstone Lydia. So what did Jenna demonstrate? Well, just like Lydia, she demonstrated that she has been faithful in prayer and faithful in God's Word. She's been open to hearing what God is saying to her. Courageous, beyond measure, going to a part of the world that is stated by the United Nations as the most dangerous place to be a woman. A generosity of Jenna's heart, giving of her time, an entire summer, most of an entire summer, and um, and the kind of effort required to participate in this kind of a bike ride. And what about this kind of persistence? She wasn't just she didn't just participate in one event two years ago. She is continually, even today, Annette, you know this is true, even now, passionate about reaching these women and girls and bringing God's love and hope uh, to them. So Jenna is becoming a Lydia, a cornerstone Lydia. And might I say that all of us can observe these kinds of models, these kinds of of, uh, examples among us, and, and really thank the Lord for what He's doing. Not uh, just 2,000 years ago in Philippi, which is an amazing act of greatness, if you will, planting the church that became one of the dominant uh, leading churches of the region of the time. But right here in the eastern end of the Lehigh Valley, God is preparing us for something. What that might be. What might that be? To, uh, uh, to conclude uh, our time today, let me invite you to... Um, well, first of all, stand with me. Uh, if, you could, uh, if you could stand, we're going to, uh, to wrap up here. But as we do, I want to call your attention to, to the time not too long ago when Pastor Tim was, um, was on his sabbatical. And we prayed as a church. We prayed that God would speak to us, lead us. Um, in essence, extend to us our Macedonian call. Make it clear to us, what is it, Lord, that you've called us to do here at Cornerstone? And so uh, we very much believe that God has been doing that 
he has been giving us these kinds of instructions. And um, so you'll see that, that we can begin to look at what our Macedonia is. So we know that God has called us to be here at March Street, and we'll continue to maintain a strong presence here. This will be our, our kind of the, uh, I don't know, the, the, the elder sister campus as we move forward in a growth strategy that's organized around multi-siting. Remember that our plan A, our plan A of church growth, by the way, which is not about numbers, it's about being of greater service to the Lord in this part of the world. Again, to whom much is given, much is required. Keep that in mind. Our plan A was to go and build a very, very large building that would accommodate all of us, would have had some great benefits, would have been just great. But we believe the Lord actually intersected that plan, redirected us, like the Apostle Paul, to our Macedonia, which is a multi-site plan to establish campuses in different parts of this area, beginning with 2nd Street. We head down to 2nd Street shortly. You're hearing those announcements, and you're all, some of you are signing up to participate. And um, that will be a critical part of our, our expression of who we are as a church. But what about as we go forward? What would the Lord have for us in the future? Well, I have a suspicion. I'm not declaring, you know, with certainty. But this is what, by the way, our leaders right now are praying about, is what, Lord, do you have for us going forward as we establish a work at 2nd Street, as we continue into this uh, journey that you've called us to? And my um, invitation to all of you is to join with us in prayer about an international expression of multi-siting. What might that look like uh, as, we, as we go forward? And I believe the Lord is beginning to put in place some of the ingredients that might be a part of that. First of all, he's raising up Lydia's. Not only the next generation, but all the generations represented here. Lydia's who are, who are ready to report for duty, who demonstrate these kinds of characteristics and are ready to serve. And all of us, it's going to take all of us to perform these acts of greatness, establishing this church with all of its, all of its expressions in the multiple campuses that lie, uh, lie ahead of us. So let's continue to pray along these lines that God would lead us, would direct us, and make it clear to us what it is that we... Um, that he is calling us to, and let's be ready to step up, to report for duty, and be available, and to let God continue to stir in us to become like a, uh, like a Lydia. So, um, as we pray, I just want to reflect back and, and, um, on, the, on the scripture that, um, that later uh, we find in chapter 16 of the book of Acts, and um, just to fully persuade you, that, uh, that the Apostle Paul understood who the big deal was in Philippi. He, didn't, uh, he was clear on his role. He was clear that he had a part to play. He was clear on Silas's role. He was clear on Timothy's role, on Luke's role, who was like a journalist traveling with them at this point and reporting these acts of the apostles. But, um, but really, really, the big deal... The big deal was very clear. It was Lydia. And it was the people in Philippi who stepped up and planted one of the strongest churches that the Apostle Paul referred back to later in the, in the epistle 
to the Philippians. The letter to the Philippians, where the Apostle, the Apostle Paul referred to them as his dear brothers and sisters in the Lord. And who would he have had in his mind when he referred, when he used that phrase? Well, clearly, it was the woman that he found to be faithful, to be open to the Lord, courageous to do whatever it was God called her to do, generous, giving of her time, her talent, her money, and persistent, not easily knocked off course, refusing to give up. He referred to Lydia and others as his beloved and longed-for brethren, his joy and crown. How fondly he speaks of those represented by Lydia who were the difference makers in Philippi. So may we, may we be Lydia's. May the Lord find us as Lydia's here at Cornerstone, ready for this next season of service. Whatever the Lord calls us, however the Lord calls us to pursue our Macedonia, March Street, 2nd Street, an international site, whether it's the Eastern Congo, where many of our Cornerstone families are already connected, or we have a mission uh, team going to Ghana, and we're involved in other parts of the world as well. What is it that the Lord has called us to? That's what we'll continue to pray and ask the Lord to clarify for us, and, uh, and we will have the privilege, which is a, a real mystery to me, but the privilege to co-labor with our Lord in the midst of this journey to our Macedonia. So let's, uh, let's bow our heads and, and pray and, and, um, and ask the Lord to seal his word in our hearts, uh, cause us to understand what he's saying to us and uh, cause us to, uh, to be willing to fully participate with him as he performs the acts of greatness here, in, here among us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the experience together that we've had today. We thank you for the wonderful time of worship where we experienced your presence. We thank you for all that you're doing in our midst already, and we thank you for what you've called us to. We thank you for the path that you set us on, and we pray that you'd give us all that we need to join with you in the acts of greatness that you are performing. Make us like Lydia, Lord. Let us be encouraged by the examples among us of women and men who are already demonstrating these characteristics of Lydia. And may we all mature and step up and respond to you fully. And may we look back in the future and say, Lord, what a great work you have done and what a privilege it is to be a part of it. So Lord, seal your word in our heart. May we go forward from this time with a, a great determination to honor you, to serve you, to love you, to hear from you, like Lydia. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.